You know, the Lord is, uh, <clears throat> before I get to the word here, I, I just sense, you know when the Lord just messes up your plans, it never happened to you. And it's good, it just, you just, you go, okay God, and uh, you don't totally know exactly how it's all going to fall, but uh, when, when, when Philip, when you were sharing about compromise, um, I felt the word of the Lord to us right now is to take a moment and evaluate the area of your ministry or your life and ask God if you are dwelling in Gomorrah. If there's any area of your finances that is dwelling in Gomorrah, I just sense the word of the Lord is make it right so that he can do something amazing through your life. And this, and I, I, I have not shared this with many people. I'm very careful. Um, I shared it with Kingsley today. I feel like I, need, I just need to share it. Um, seven years ago, Cheryl and I were visiting um, some of our missionaries in Thailand. They have an incredible ministry there. So we were getting to, I, I'd known them for years. I'd traveled there several times with Dr. Russ Fraze, and uh, they have a Bible college, and they, they, uh, they take care of orphans, and it's just everything awesome, like everything. It's so just amazing. They're planting churches within the Aka tribe. And we went there seven years ago, and um, we took them out to lunch, and I was there doing some ministry, and, and it was the first year of, my, of me leading the church I was in. And we're eating lunch, and the Lord says, I mean, just the Holy Spirit's like, ask them this question. So I did. I said, I just need to ask you this question. Um, has the church, our church, ever done anything that was hurtful to you? And they, uh, him hauled around a little bit and their gracious demeanor as they, as humble missionaries would. Oh, you know, we're, we're fine. It's, it's. And I said, I, I want you to tell me. And so they told me of a story um, where, I'll just to shorten it, they were, uh, they were promised $300,000 to build a, a building. And only 150 came. And the other 150 was used um, in other areas of our church. And they said, but we have, we have, we've forgiven, we've let it go. God used it in our life. I mean, there's such good, just righteous ministers, you know. God used it in our life to stretch our faith, and they emptied their savings, and God met them, and God still did the building, and it was amazing. And I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that's happened. And uh, we were pretty tight as a ministry, and we were trying to figure out which way is up and how to figure things out and how to, what God was asking us to do. And, but I, I left that lunch, and, and I had committed in my heart, Lord, I'm going to make that right. I don't know how, I don't know where it's going to come from, but I'm going to make it right. Lord, help us to make it right. And so a few years went by, and... Um, Last year in 20, 2022, so I guess the year before that now, in 2022, I woke up one morning 
And the Lord just told me, make it right. And I knew it was about this ministry. And we were still $14 million in debt in 2022 and trying to figure things out and um, tight. And I went to our elders and our board and I shared with them the, the story. We confirmed that that, in fact, did happen. It, it, uh, 300 came in, 150 went to them, and another 150 went somewhere else in the church. And I told them. And like men of God, they were very, they were uh, concerned, like, <laughs> where are we going to get the money? Um, but they said, we agree, let's make it right. And uh, one, of my, uh, one of my elders, who's a great man, he's our secretary treasurer, he said, you know, uh, 150 grand uh, 20 years ago is worth a lot more than it, today than it was then. And so... This guy thinks, you know, God wants us to adjust for inflation. I'm like, I mean, how righteous do you have to be, right? It's like, good grief. So he runs all the data and he, and he, he does a currency exchange and to, he, he compares the two. You know, what was the Thai bot doing? What was the U.S. dollar doing? And he does all the data and he comes, and he comes back and he's a, he's a genius. He comes back. He says, actually, it's, about, it's worth about 212000 now. And, uh, and the board and myself said, okay, let's do it. So we uh, pulled from our savings, we pulled from our, um, our safety, we pulled from all the things that you, you, know, you do. And uh, I went over there in 2022 uh, and went to Thailand, went out to lunch with this precious couple and I read them a letter and the gist of the letter is this, that we believe that it was in the heart of God for you to have that money. And we, as a board, I, I represent, I, we are sorry. We repent on behalf of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're depositing 212 grand into your account today. And, uh, and that missionary who God has done incredible things with. He's a doctor, he has a doctorate in theology, the first person from his Hill tribe to ever get a doctorate, and God's using him to plant all these churches and raise up all these pastors. And he, uh, he started weeping. And he said, I thought I actually was healed. But this is healing me. And he wept, and we wept together. And in 2023, the Lord paid off almost $15 million for us. But here's, here's, here's the deal. Make it right. Make it right. If you've been given money to do something and you have not used that money to do that, and you represent the church of Jesus Christ and a leader in the church of Jesus Christ, make it right. God cannot bless you if you are being dishonest. And the little things that lead to other little things that lead to other big things, we can all justify it. 
We can all make a reason, well, it's for the ministry, it's for this, it's really for that, and what does that matter? Well, they wouldn't have really had that money unless, you know, we had done this anyway, so it doesn't really matter. It matters to God. And when you represent his kingdom, we don't have the luxury of making value calls regarding the truth of God's word. We obey it. And I just, I, I just, want, just want to share with you something. So, so, Philip, thank you for sharing that. I, James 4.17 says, So whatever or whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, it's what? It's a sin. In Numbers 5, speaking about making restitution among the people of God, says, when a man or woman commits any of the sins that people commit by breaking faith with the Lord, and that person realizes his guilt, he shall confess his sin that he's committed. He shall make full restitution for his wrong, adding a fifth to it and giving it to him who he has wronged. Proverbs 28.6 says, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. 2 Corinthians 8.21 for we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. Friends, I really feel like this is what I sense. I sense prophetically that God has these blessings for your ministry, and they are waiting for you. They belong to you. They are your inheritance. They are waiting for you to make it right. And so I just want to obey the Lord for just that moment. And if we can, just, just bow your heads just for a moment. or Close your eyes or whatever it is. And we just say, Lord, as this fellowship of dear people here. Lord, if there are things we did unknowingly, things we did knowingly, things we we told ourselves, oh, I'll, I'll replace that or I'll pay that back. I'm just taking it from here to take care of that, but I haven't, and we haven't paid it back. Lord, tonight we say, forgive us, cleanse us. And Lord, we make the decision that we're going to make it right. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? Amen. amen. The grace of God meets us where we are. And then he is able to bless our lives. But the part of this is our interaction with God. And so, Philip, thank you for sharing that. And thank you all for allowing me that moment to, to share those things that are on my heart. I, I do want to just take a moment here. And my message tonight um, isn't long. Um, and usually my church laughs at me when I say that. Uh, it's not. And I, I want to take a moment. And I just want to thank um, Pastor Matt for your, for your purity of ministry and Heather for your, um, your strength to him and to this body here. Uh, we are grateful. We're all better because of this family. And can we thank them for their <laughs> kindness to us? We love you. You know, as I was preparing for this message, I just was thinking about everybody in this room and um, overwhelmed because so many of you have poured into Cheryl and I's life. And we are who we are today 
Um, all the good things in our life are because of you. All the bad things are because of me, but that's okay. Uh, <clears throat> and I just want to say thank you. I, you know, David and Jeannie, your, your commitment to um, young people over the years and your grace in our life and my wife's life. I can't thank you enough. And I'm grateful. Grateful for you. I remember David Cook was teaching in the life of Christ, and he, uh, I could never remember all the C's and S's, and oh my goodness. Uh, but how many know this in, in Bible college, there's more caught than really taught? It's the impartation of the Holy Spirit. And I remember as he was teaching about Christ and a sacrifice, he had to turn away. from the classroom because he was overtaken with emotion. I mean, this is a man who's preached thousands of messages, talked about the sacrifice of Christ thousands of times. And I remember thinking, Lord, I want to be sensitive like that. My whole life. And it was an example for me. I want to thank Ron and Christy Bishop who, um, you know, Ron and Christy, they, they see the world differently. I think they see it as their playground, actually. <laughs> and they give a perspective about the purposes of God and what he can do and how he can do it and, and how to dream and how to be okay with with change and movement, and, and they have blazed a trail for all of us to trust God, take risk, go for it, and see what God does. And I'm so grateful for you. You have you've paved the way. Terry and Cindy, you are the servants of all servants. You you love extravagantly. You do. All the when we were here preparing to go to England, barely being able to provide he, this, they'd always slip twenty dollar bills in our hands, and. Then they make us take it because we didn't want to. And like one thing you don't do is tell Terry no. So it's like, okay. But his mentorship in my life and your kindness to us. We owe you a great debt. So thank you. I know I was supposed to preach, but this, I'm just going for it. My, uh, you know, my... My heart is just to really honor the Lord, so I feel like he told me to do. And, um, Kingsley and Kathleen Armstrong, you have always been our cheerleaders. Where are you, Kingsley? Somewhere. Oh, there you go. You've always been our cheerleaders. You've always, you've always led by example, and you've always loved us and let us sleep at your house and always kept cheering us on. And 
You've always prayed for us and you've given us words of clarity and you've affirmed us. And that means so much, so much. And I just, I thank you for your, for your impartation in our life. And Doug and Angie, where are you guys? Oh, there you are. Doug, I'll never forget, you took me up here to Starbucks. And I was trying to figure out what in the world's going on. My head was spinning. You go, Jason, you ever thought about Europe? I thought, no. But then after you said that, I couldn't shake Europe. It was like you, you put like a little mind ninja in my brain. And then later, like, ah, came out and got me. But you've always cheered us on. And you've always... You've been, I think Dave Bell called you, you're, if you, in the body of Christ, that you were, you're the adrenaline gland, I think is what he said. <laughs> but you are always living by faith. You and Angie are always living by faith. You're leaning in to areas most people wouldn't. And I'm so thankful for believing in people like us. You are my heroes. So thank you. Donnie Crabtree. You're like an oak, man. You're all reliable. You can always be called. You'll always let people talk more than you. And then you'll hit them with a prophetic word and encourage them and pray for them. I'm grateful for that. Your belief in me over the years is just, it's, just it's, it's given me belief in myself. And Roland and Carolyn, I, I, I've known you since Paducah, Paducah, Kentucky. Before I ever went to Bible college, you guys were coming around our church. And you've always, you've always led the way of example of faithfulness and don't quit and don't stop. You've always been real. You're, you're the most, I'm, Roland, you're the realest person I've ever met. Like, if you don't want to know what Roland's thinking, don't talk to him. Like, if you don't want to know what he's thinking on a mic, don't give him a mic either. He's, you're real. And you guys have just, you've loved us young people. You've loved us and you've cheered us on. And I'm, I'm grateful. And so with this, I don't know where all this is coming from, but with this, I think we need to recognize the beauty of legacy of the body of Christ together. That what has happened and people have imparted into other people's lives, this matters in the kingdom of God. And the fruit that is produced, many of us will never taste of it, will never see it, but we will, as Matt was saying, we will Get an inheritance in heaven. And so I just want to encourage you today. The kindness, the time, the encouragement, the support that you give, it matters so much. And God has really given us, given us a gift here in this church, in this ministry, with these people. And I'm just thankful. I am so thankful for you. So that's my heart of gratitude. And so I'm going to give us just a, a quick message and this is about reforming our hearts to the heart of Jesus for the lost. This is so important. 
And we've heard much from all the messages, my message, all of this about the importance of, of us living in an ungodly world and in a way to stand. And we stand strong and we don't cave and we don't give in and we don't stop. And when everyone else bows, we stand. When everyone else stands, we bow. That's what we do because we're followers of Jesus. But Christians have a dual responsibility when it comes to our interaction with the world around us. We have a twofold responsibility. Yes, we must not allow the world or culture to indoctrinate or in, in, infiltrate our families and our, and, our, and our children and our churches. And we must not go to consumerism-driven ministries. We must hold true to the Word of God, stand on it, hold true to who God says He is, and allow his sovereignty to be worked out in our life as we trust him and follow him by faith. But we're also called to live and to serve and to bear witness in a lost world for the glory of Christ that there will be a great harvest on the earth. Amen? Amen. So we're just not called to stand. We're called to reach those who are hurting and lost and broken around us. We are the hope of the world. Jesus never said, we are called to be. Actually, Jesus never said this. He didn't say you're called to be the salt of the earth. He said you are the salt of the earth. So he didn't say you should become it one day. He said, no, you are it. There is no salt without us. He didn't say... You're to be the light of the world. Go out and shine. No, no. He said, you are the light of the world. Definitive. You are. You are salt. You are light. That's you. In other words, we are to interact with the world around us in a way that is salty and light, that heals, preserves, brings life, that lightens and convicts and brings the glory of God into situations into people's lives. As we look at the life of Jesus and we see how he interacts with the brokenness around us, we're going to be in John chapter 8 today, tonight. I, just, I want to just share with you tonight that we would reform our hearts, reform our hearts to the heart of Jesus for the lost. It's easy to pick up offense to people from, towards people who don't think and believe like us. It's easy. There was this, this man called Jesus. He said, it's easy to love those who love you back. It's easy to be kind to those who are kind back to you. But we live in a world where they have been, the culture around us is not the enemy. They're the victims of the enemy. And we are called to deliver them and to break the strongholds off of their life with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what is our posture in our heart? How can we form our hearts to be like the heart of Christ? John 8, we're going to begin with verse 1, read through 4. I'm reading from the NIV. At dawn, he appeared again. Jesus appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught 
and the act of adultery. I want to lean in for a second here. I want to give us the full view of what's going on. In the beginning of this passage, Jesus is teaching. We have no idea what he's teaching about, which is interesting. I want you to catch that. We don't know what he was teaching about. Like, that would be great to know what you're teaching about, just as he was teaching. But then as you lean in, as you look at the, at, at the text, we'd see he's interrupted with his commotion. And so we know that God obviously wants us to see, to learn, to be taught from Jesus' interaction with this woman. He wants us to find something here. He's making a point. We don't have the words of what Jesus taught. We have the actions of what he did. And so this woman is brought to Jesus, this interaction with this woman. She's not a special woman. She's not a rich woman. She's not an influential woman. She's not important. She's not a city official. But Jesus wanted to point this story out for us to see, for us to learn from, for us to glean and say, I want you like this. I want you to interact with the world like this. But this woman that was brought before Jesus, she's an adulterer. So Jesus is interrupted and this commotion happens and, and it's the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who have brought this woman to Jesus. And these Pharisees, they, they used the, the word of God to, for their own power. They, they, they were called by God to prepare God's people, to prepare them for the great shepherd so that when the shepherd would come, Jesus, they would recognize him and follow him. But they used God's people for their own purposes instead. They knew the Bible, but they were void of the spirit of the one who had written it. And they used God's word to justify their actions on many, many occasions that were wrong. And this is one of them. And Jesus saw right through them. But here's this woman. She's been dragged in front of the crowd around Jesus. And you can imagine what she felt like. You don't, we don't see any interaction where she's denying, I didn't do it. No, it wasn't me. Nope, she doesn't deny the allegations. She knew she was guilty. She was drugged in front of Jesus. Her hair was a mess. Her garment was dirty from the struggle. She was probably trying to hide her face of shame and guilt, maybe even bloody from, from a fight and after being drugged around, her knees are scraped. She's barefoot. And now she stands one woman cowering in the middle of these powerful men. She was humiliated. She was in pain. In the Judaism, there's three crimes that were punishable by, by death, capital punishment, idolatry, murder, and adultery. And if it could be proven, you could be killed. It's interesting, even in the, the, the Mishnah, which is a handbook of traditions that the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders would, would they'd write on, they, they would add to and make more stuff to go with, with the law. They, they taught that if a man was called an adultery, he was actually treated a little differently than the woman. If a man was caught in adultery, according to the Mishnah, 
He was to be placed in animal dung up to his knees and a rope around his neck. They would put a towel around his neck so he would not have strangle marks on him. And they would take a rope around this side and they'd go this side and another rope around this side. They'd go that side on the, on the towel and they would pull until the man was strangled to death and died. They also taught the Mishnah that if a woman was caught in adultery, she was to be stoned to death. But there was a superior law to the Mishnah, and it was the law of Moses, which was the Torah. And the Jews of that day lived by the Torah. And the Torah also taught if a woman is caught in adultery. In the city, she was to be stoned. So we pick up in verse 3. They made this woman stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such women. Now, Jesus, what do you say? And so they were using this question, is what the word says, as a trap in order to have the basis for accusing him. And I want you to see this. This is interesting. It says she was caught in the act of adultery. This wasn't a rumor. This wasn't something they thought. She was caught in the act of adultery. She was literally pulled from the act of sin. And she was still within their grip from them finding her and taking her out. So they brought this woman, dragged her to Jesus, not for biblical clarity, not for justice, but the scripture says to trap Jesus. She was a piece of meat to bait Jesus. I mean, when I read this, though, my question is this. Where's the man? He had to be there. She was caught in the act. But he wasn't. Some opinions is maybe he escaped or, or some opinion is this was part of the setup as long as he would help bring this woman to Jesus. It justified the act because it could catch Jesus. So they say, hey, Jesus, the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say, Jesus? I want you to see the dilemma he's in. If he says stoner, he'll, he'll be showing that he's no different than the Pharisees. Also, Rome was the governing power in Israel. And this time, Rome was the only governing power who was able to carry out capital punishment. And so if he was to say stoner, and they did, then he'd be guilty of treason, treason on the Rome side. If he said, let her go, get your hands off her, then he'd be breaking the law of Moses. This was a trap. Now Jesus has to give an answer before all these people. Remember, he was there teaching, so there was a crowd there already. And so this woman's in front of him. She's filled with emotions and fear embarrassment and pain, humiliation, and everybody see, has seen her, everybody sees her face, everybody knows who she is, who her family is. And the Pharisees are filled with rage and hatred and smirks on their face. Hey, we got them now. And they're waiting for this gotcha moment with Jesus This is what Jesus does. Verse 6, it says, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground 
with his finger. If you were there, you'd probably be thinking, well, come on, Jesus. Quit stalling. Quit buying time. Or he, he's, he's doodling. Just, he's just kind of flicking some dust around. Maybe he's trying to figure out what he's going to say. Maybe he's trying to figure out, how do I get out of this trap? Maybe he didn't hear the question, and so they ask it again. Hey, Jesus. But the scripture says that he began to write. And the word write is a, it's a word that's a deliberate act of writing something. It's like writing on a chalkboard or writing a letter. It was different than just making a mark. He wasn't just making a mark. He was doing something intentional with his writing. There's a lot of speculations. I believe Jesus began to write out the list of the sins of the, of the woman's accusers. I don't know that. That's just what I believe. But in verse 7, they kept questioning him. Tell us, Jesus, what's your answer? What's taking so long? It's, obvi it's obvious what the answer is. And Jesus did not respond to their demand. He just kept writing. We don't know how long he wrote, what he wrote, but what we do know is the Pharisees could read it, and so could everybody else, and so could the woman. And as he continued to write, the questions became less and less. The Pharisees kind of quieted down a little bit, and, and I imagine it went from questions filled with hatred and spite and bitterness to silence. And I think after all of their questions stopped bombarding at him, and it stopped as they read the words he was writing, he stood up. And he looked them in the eyes and he said, let any of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Go ahead, stone her. But the one without sin. Go ahead. And they, they're, they're looking at the rock and they're looking at the writing. And the once puffed out chest of the religious, arrogant individual and leader is now hunched, probably hiding their face and crawfishing out of the group. And disappeared on the side streets of Jerusalem. And now all that is left are two people who could not be more different. A man and a woman. Standing, maybe face to face, with a woman still cowering. The son of God, an adulterous woman. Who just a few moments ago was engaged and a perverse act of sin. You had the one who the right to condemn and the one who deserved it. The one who could, who could condemn her. But he didn't. 
And the ones who wanted to, they couldn't. And Jesus looks at her. She's tattered. She's been drugged up to Jesus. And he says, sweetheart. Sweetheart, look, look at me. Look at me. Where are your accusers? Didn't even, one of them didn't even condemn you. And she answers, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Was she wrong? Was she guilty? Was she sinful? Yes, yes. Was she a victim of the fall of Adam and sin? Yeah. Was she condemned by Jesus? No. She was saved by him. And when you're, when you're living in a world like we live in, when we are called by God to do what Jesus does, we have to determine which option we're going to form our hearts towards. Towards Jesus and towards the flesh. There's three options to reach. Number one, you can condemn. Listen, you're too far gone. We know the Bible. We've been saved. I've been saved since I was three. You filthy, dirty, nasty woman. This option tells the lost and the broken and those without Christ, God doesn't like them and he hates them. And this option tells sinners how much God dislikes them. I've had these people out front of our church before. With signs. And I always like to ask these people, hey, how many, how many people come to Christ this week from that sign? I always like to ask street preachers. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying, I ask them, how many people have been led to Christ? How many people have, have said, oh, brother, thank you so much for giving me this wonderful message of the gospel? Usually they say, well, they're, they're hardened. They're, their hearts, hearts are hardened. But we can condemn. Number two, we can condone. We have this in, in our... American Western Christianity means, hey, listen, you're just fine the way you are. You just need to put, just put your faith in Jesus and go on living your life exactly however you want. This option tells the lost and the broken how much God loves them and that God's okay with it because he knows you're broken. And God's okay with sin because God is love. God wants you to be happy. And do what you want. He doesn't want to burden you with conviction. He just wants you to be saved. 
And this option says, hey, it's all right. And it leads them to death. There is a third option, though, for us. And I conclude with this point. And it's what Jesus did. Compassionate confrontation. Hey, you are loved by God. And you are in need of forgiveness. Jesus never condemned this woman. He never condoned her. He compassionately confronted her and shows her a better way. And then after she puts her faith in him and says, Lord, he says, now go and sin no more. Compassionate confrontation. I just want to conclude tonight. It's the reason why Jesus was able to interact with people who were lost and broken. Because he loved them. We live in a world where we complain a lot about the world. And everything we say is true. But how many know it's really hard to change something you don't love? It's really hard to be moved with compassion towards something you think ought to just burn and die. You think has just gone too far. But for your heart to be molded and reformed to the heart of Jesus. Compassionately confronts. We are called to stand. We are called to put a flag in the ground. We're called to speak the truth. We're called to stand strong against those who are absolute pawns of the devil and demon filled. But we're also called to compassionately confront those like this woman. And we're called to form our hearts into the heart of Christ that he would use us to seek and save that which is lost. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. In your kindness. Lord, today I ask you that you would shape and mold our hearts. That, Lord, we want to be reformed. We want to be reformed by your word. We want to be reformed by your character. We want to be reformed by your spirit. But, Lord, we recognize tonight our hearts need to be reformed into your heart towards the broken and lost world that we're called to reach. And we thank you that through the power of your spirit, our hearts can be shaped. And we receive that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.